And so now I have the privilege of uh, introducing someone very special to me, my wife, <laughs> Susan. Aw, thank you. Aw, thank you. It's so, isn't it nice to be able to have fun and worship and at church and just really enjoy each other? Kind of like, kind of like God like enjoys us like that, right? It's so nice. I love you guys. It's so good to be here. I love, I love looking around like even in worship and watching people being so lost in worship. It's like, yes, God. We were born for this, weren't we? Yay, God. Okay. So I don't have any keynote or anything like that, so you just get to listen to me and you get to let God take you where you would go and may he show you what you need to see tonight. So, um, so yeah. So Jesus, let's just pray. Jesus, um, would you fill my mouth with the words you have for me to say that make clear... God, what you want us to understand, what you want us to help us know about our own hearts and about your heart for us, about how you put us on this planet, not just to survive, God, but to be more than conquerors, to live from heaven to earth as your anointed ones, your anointed ones. Lord, that each and every one of us are as Christ to the world, God. And I, I just pray you help us to understand that, help us to receive that, believe that, taste that, know that. Ooh, more than ever, God. Because it's not about what we can do, it's about what you can do in us. And we thank you. You are so willing. You are so willing, God. Oh, you are so willing to make our lives matter, to make our lives make a difference here on earth. So I pray, God, that you just pour out hope and encouragement and, and just an understanding who, of, of who we are and whose we are tonight, Jesus. In your name, Lord. Ah, thank you, Jesus. So if I had a title for this, which I didn't really, yeah, I'd probably call it something like Anointed for Purpose, because I really felt like God wanted me to talk about um, what that means. Because I think sometimes this world we live in sort of gives us some real mixed messages if we spend too much time listening and watching what the world says about what gives us value and what um, and where we would get that worth and value from. Now, many of you know that this week was Passover, right, in the Hebrew calendar. And I'm sure you all remember from your Bible readings, right? Passover was that time when the Israelites were in Egypt, and they'd actually been there something like 400 years I mean, they had been there so long by the time Moses came along. They, they couldn't, I'm sure, they couldn't remember. I mean, that'd be your, like, your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. It'd be really hard to remember back to Abraham. It'd been that long. 
They were there a long, long time as slaves. That's all they knew. They were there to serve the Egyptians, serve people that didn't even believe in their God, serve someone who had absolutely no value for who they were as a people other than to be used and to be used up to bless their culture, which, of course, the Israelites would, have, would not have had um, any connection with whatsoever. Egyptians, of course, were worshiping idols and, and all that. And so in a very, of course, Moses comes on the scene and he's like, wait a minute here. What it, God, what are you thinking? Why are you letting us be slaves? It's time for, uh, for you to show up and, and, you know, free us from this bondage we've been. And of course, we all know that story. And it happened in a very quick little moment. Remember that? They sacrificed the lamb and they painted the blood over the doorposts, and the next day they crossed over the Red Sea. It was that fast. Suddenly they were released, and it happened really fast when it happened. Suddenly they had, like, no future, no hope, no destiny. Dang, no Christmas, no good stuff, right? It was just work, 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 work. Suddenly they're heading for the promised land and all kinds of potential They get to maybe worship like they're accustomed to worship again. Everything changed in a moment like that. So they went from serving somebody else's vision to suddenly, can I have my own vision? Can I have my own dream? Can I have my own hope? Wow. That would be a big, 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 big shift. And for us, when we got saved, we, we also entered into that kind of a shift, didn't we? Because a lot of us came from families, maybe upbringings, where we weren't given a lot of permission to dream or imagine we could do much with our lives. And then we get saved, and suddenly, oh, you're loved of God, and you're his precious, and you're beloved. And there's all this potential. And how many know it takes a while? to start believing just how complete that potential is, doesn't it? It did for me, (laughs) that's for sure. I want to look at David, King David, and see how he went through this process, because I think um, we can really relate to him. I think if we look a little deeper into his life, we'll actually, um, I think there's more that you, more when you look down deeper into the scriptures about what was really going on for David. So David was born at a time where the prophets were in charge of of the Israeli nation, right? There were no kings. It was the prophet. The prophet was the man of power. And the prophet went to God and talked to God. And people, people that need to hear from God would go to the prophet. And he'd get the word and give them direction and tell them what to do, right? So at the time when David... Um, the time of David, Samuel was the prophet, okay? And about this time, the people started wanting, started getting a little antsy, and they're looking around at all the other people groups around them going, hey, all, they all have kings. We want to have a king. And so God said, okay, if that's really what you want to do, I'll give you a king. And so the first guy was Saul, and we all know that. It didn't, didn't work out so well with Saul. He wasn't quite ready to be a king. And then Samuel, what God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. 
the house of Jesse, Jesse had eight sons. David was the youngest. You probably all remember that story. Um, so Samuel's going, hey, hey, Jesse, I'm coming to your house because one of your sons is the king, and we're going to figure out who he is. The interesting thing, seven of the sons were there at the house when Samuel showed up, but one, David, the youngest, the one that was always picked on, right? He's out minding the sheep. Now, this is like... Okay, this is like the president showing up at your house. This is like the pope showing up at your house. This is like the most famous person in the world showing up at your house. And you're going to leave one of your sons out minding the sheep? Hmm, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And it's very clear it wasn't because they didn't have enough resources, because a little bit later when David has to go, remember when he had to go bring lunch to his older brothers? He found a servant to take care of the sheep for him. So that was not the problem. Dad didn't want Jesse there or big brother or somebody did not want him there. So uh, reading between the lines, I'm thinking David's pretty picked on. They do not have, they definitely do not think David could possibly be king. And in that culture, of course, it's got to be the firstborn. Of course, it has to be the firstborn. They would just make that assumption. But we all know what happened, Jesse, um, Jesse presents his sons to Samuel, and one by one, he's hearing God, and God's saying, nope, 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 nope. How many did I do? Nope, nope. Seven? Seven times? But he's like, okay, where's the other son? And they're like, dang. Um, the Lord spoke very clearly to Samuel. People judge by outward appearances. But the Lord looks on the heart. So they were trying to tell him, these guys are, are the one. These other sons, they've got to be the one. That's what Jesse wanted. But they weren't. God was looking at the heart. God knew who, Jesse, who, who David was. And so when David, we know the story, David comes in. Samuel's like, yes, you are the one, right? And um, is anointed to be king. The anointing oil poured on him. He is being anointed to be king. Anointing, according to the Jack Hayford Bible handbook, refers to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which brings understanding. This anointing is not just for kings priests, and prophets. It is for everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, back in the time of David, they definitely, they believed in God. The anointing come, occurs physically with a substance such as oil, myrrh, or balsam. But there is also a special anointing as the Holy Spirit anoints a person's heart and mind with the love and the truth of God. So David was anointed. He was set apart with a purpose. And the purpose was to be a king. So what would that say to you if you've been sort of marginalized by your family your whole life and suddenly a prophet is calling you up to be a king? What would that say to you? God knows me. 
He sees me. And remember, this is the David that was out taking care of the sheep all by himself a lot of the time. Nobody's watching him. Obviously, they're not even paying a lot of attention to him because they're kind of oblivious to where he is most of the time. And he's out there by himself, and he is protecting those sheep. When a bear, he talks, you know, a bear comes, a lion comes, he is fighting them off. Now, dang, I mean, he's got a staff. I don't, I don't know how he does that. If I have a staff and a lion or a bear come, I'm, I'm out of there, okay? But he so cared for those sheep that he fought them off. Not that, I don't think, probably nobody knew, but he was doing in secret. He was, there was an integrity of his heart that he, the things he was doing in secret to take care of what God had given him to take care of. And that got him an anointed as king. And so it's very interesting. Almost the very next scene after that anointing, the Philistines show up, right? And we know who came with the Philistines, that of Goliath. And so in the very next scene, Philistines are coming. All the men are called to the army to fight off the Philistines. And David is sent to bring lunch to his big brothers. Okay? And they're all just standing around shaking because Goliath is so big and powerful. And David shows up and um, it's interesting. He says this. He um, Let me see, where would I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the oldest brother. The oldest brother. This is in 1 Samuel, I think, 17. The oldest brother says this to him. What are you doing here? Where are the sheep? You should be taking care of those sheep. You are so proud and deceitful. Really? Proud and deceitful because he came to bring him lunch and he's simply asking some questions like, why are you guys all standing around when there's somebody, there's a battle to be fought here, guys? What's wrong with you guys? Why? Because David had already fought the lion and the bear. He's like, this is just a lion or bear to me because I've already fought those things. I already knew who I was. I established with God on the hillside when nobody was looking. I established who I was in the Lord. And I know my God will stand up for me. Now, I don't know if how much the anointing had to do with his fierceness and his confidence, but I know a lot of it had to do with simply his integrity of heart, that he just did what he knew he was supposed to do, and he stood in it, even though nobody noticed. See, David had already had to battle in his heart the treatment he'd gotten from his family. I mean, it doesn't sound like he got a lot of credit for anything, honestly. But he'd already worked that out in his times of worship and his times of adoration of the Lord out there on the hillside, loving on his God. He had learned to dream his own God-sized dreams. Show. He had learned to own his own God-given purposes. So when he was anointed, he's like receiving it. Yes, I could be a king. I get it. When Saul received anointing, Saul, remember, he ran away. He hid. Saul had not worked out the issues in his heart with God in terms of who he was, his purposes, his destiny. 
Saul was hiding from himself. Saul was afraid and insecure. And he could not handle the weight of that anointing. So I know for myself, I was raised in a family where we really weren't taught how to dream, how to hope, how to expect. It was sort of survival. I mean, how many of you had families that was just kind of survival and there was nothing kind of intentional or planned about raising up your kids to um, believe in themselves? And I know a lot of us were raised in those kind of families. And coming into a place like this at church, there's, there's time, I've had to battle. I've had to just like, you know, just like David had to learn to battle for a sense of worth, a battle for a sense of purpose and destiny and dreaming with God. I mean, to me, that has for a long time been a very foreign concept. But I believe, and part of, the th- part of what we're going to do today is a little bit of an anointing service. I think God wants to help us step up and start believing his dreams for us and no longer accept some of the things that we were given in our past, the assumptions we made from our past. They probably, For the most part, our parents were doing the best they could. They just didn't know how. They were just surviving, most of so many of them. I know uh, my 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 dad once he tried to encourage me. This this one particular time, I I was like the tomboy. I had an older sister, I had a younger sister, and I was serious tomboy, right? I'm always climbing trees and running as fast as I can, and all that, and just trying to do stuff. I would just I'd like to try new stuff and. It didn't always work out so well, but yeah. So I remember my one day. My one day, my dad just randomly came up to me and said, "I think you should be a fighter pilot." I'm like, I don't know, 15 or 16 at the time. I remember th- looking at him, going, "What are you talking about? That's just craziness." I doubt women could even be, you know, military pilots at that time. But um, but I think he was trying to tell me, Susan, you can do. Anything. I mean, he was trying in his own way to do that, which is really, I look back and think, oh, that was so sweet. But at the time, I just thought he was kind of, that's really weird. Why did you just say that to me? Um, but he just thought maybe I could fulfill some of his dreams that he'd had. So, bless him. He's with Jesus now. Isn't that sweet? He is with Jesus. He lived his whole life as an atheist, but he is now with Jesus because God showed me that in very many ways. So good. So what David did, I think, when he was up there on those hills, is he allowed God access to the depths of his heart. There had to be a lot of pain there. The most important person in the country is coming to visit you at your house and you're left out. What kind of rejection is that? Wow. I think he had to really work out in worship, in his time of worship and adoration with God, that whole of, of affirmation and acceptance that was in his heart. He absolutely worked that out with God. Otherwise, with that much rejection on you, there is no way in the world you would have gone, sure, cool, I'll be the king. And then to walk out what he did afterwards, right? Where he's, Saul is trying to kill him for I don't know how long, years. Saul is trying to kill him for years and years afterwards. 
Scripture in uh, Isaiah 51 came to mind in terms of that place in our heart. And I know I will, I will speak in from my own life. The place in our heart when we aren't given reasons to hope and dream for ourselves. Like those Israelites, they didn't know how to hope and dream when they crossed over the other side of the Red Sea, which is why they kept going around in circles. They kept going around in the mountain because they did not know how to believe that the promised land really even existed. They'd never experienced it. Their parents hadn't experienced it. We need the comfort of the Lord. We need the Lord to come and comfort our empty places, our hurting hearts. And he will do that. I think this is a great description of what David allowed the Lord to do for his own heart. The Lord will comfort Zion. This is Isaiah 51.3. He will comfort all her waste places. The places of our heart that we think nobody else has any interest in, has any value for. He will comfort your waste places. He will make your wilderness like Eden and your desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. What David established out in the wilderness with those sheep, he established that he was a worshiper. Didn't he have a, was it a lyre? Was it played, yeah? Is that how you say harp? Yeah. Lyre, harp. That's a weird lyre. Um, harp, like that better. He played his harp out there to God. He established himself as a worshiper, and he established himself as a warrior. He fought the bear and the lion with God's help. So when it's time to show off with, you know, the show, you know, kind of the showdown with Goliath, this is who I am. I am a worshiping warrior. Duh. Got my slingshot. I'm good to go. So Saul tries to put that armor on him. I'm like, I do not need this. This is not who I am. I have figured out who I am. I have figured out who I am before the Lord. I'm not letting any person tell me who I am because he's telling me who I am. And I know that I know that I know I am a worshiping warrior. It's who I am. Yeah, bring it on, Goliath, dude. I got my slingshot here. I am good to go because I know who I am. And the other thing that David did, which I think speaks to his heart of worship, is at once he became king, remember the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen by the enemy. He brings that Ark back and he dances. He could care less who's watching him dance, and they're making fun of him. His own wife's making fun of him. It's like, I am a worshiping warrior. It's who I am, unapologetically. David had so built that into his heart. 1 John 2.27 says this. And I believe that David had really so cultivated that connection with Jesus and with God, who he probably knew. Because if you look at the, at the Psalms, there are, they are loaded. David's Psalms are loaded with references to Jesus. So 
he probably had some level of understanding of who Jesus was or who Jesus was going to come to earth to be. First John 2.27 says this, The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. This anointing, whether it be by oil or just God, God bringing it upon you, it just puts something so deep in your heart that you know, that you know, that you know. Holy Spirit abides in you. You are carriers of the Christ. There is no separation. He is in you and you are in him. David absolutely knew God believed in him. That's why he could do what he did. Absolutely had established that. Um, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to have you all, um, we're going to just do a little bit of a, uh, share, I'm going to share a vision with you all that God gave me once um, that kind of goes along with this theme. So if you're comfortable, go ahead and close your eyes. I um, had this vision many, many years ago. Um, I was at the time standing next to Roland Baker. <laughs> had something to do with the vision. <laughs> before he and his wife were quite as known as they are now and we were just in a little group of people. And... Um, the Lord took me into this vision of being in a huge Olympic-sized swimming pool. And you know how it is with those big pools. They're divided into lanes. And I was in one of the lanes, and I could see all these other people were each in their own lane too. And Jesus was standing on the far side from me. And he was standing there holding a dozen red roses. And he was then encouraging each and every one of us to start swimming. But I realized this was not a race. This was not a competition. We were each being encouraged to swim whatever stroke was comfortable for us to swim, whatever that is, backstroke, side stroke, crawl, uh, dog paddle, <laughs> whatever was comfortable and right for you. And we each started swimming. And what I was aware of was his eyes on me, watching me, affirming me, believing in me. And he kept saying over and over and over again. As I just, and I'm not a great swimmer, as I'm swimming my little simple stroke, I don't know how to do any of those fancy flips or whatever you do, turns. Um, but there was no competition. There was no clock. There was nobody watching but him, and he kept saying, I believe in you. 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 Just swim your simple stroke. I believe in you. When I watch you, I look at no one else. When I watch you, I compare you to no one. When I watch you, I see only you. I see you doing your best, and your best cannot compare 
to anyone else. Comparing does not exist in the kingdom, you see. I look upon you. I say, I believe in you. I love what you're doing. I love how you do it. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. He believes in you because after all, he created you. Ha, ha, ha. You were his idea. You didn't dream yourself up. You didn't figure out who you were going to be all by yourself. He's right there, arm in arm, stride by stride with you. Every moment, every breath. I had an interesting dream this week. And in the dream, somebody gave me an important message for Marilyn. Now, okay, Marilyn's not here, but it actually has nothing to do with Marilyn. I looked up what the name of Marilyn means. Marilyn means of the line or the lineage of Mary. And as the dream went on, I got busy and distracted, and I forgot to give Marilyn, this very important message I was given for her. And when I woke up, I'm like, what was that about, Jesus? And I realized, I felt like what he was saying was, yeah, you are a carrier of the anointed one. All of you are carriers of the anointed one. And we don't want to be making excuses for why we're not walking out in the fullness when you're already carrying the fullness of God within you. Yeah? You are carrying around in you, resident in you, the fullness of Christ incarnate. Just as he was in the world, so are we. There is no difference. There is no separation. The fullness of who God is resides in each and every one of you. Now, how he reveals himself, how he functions through you is unique and one of a kind, just like all those different swimmers in the pool. One cannot be compared to the other. Each one delightful in his eyes, perfect to him. So if you feel like, but I don't know how to do things as good as this person or that person. I'm, I'm first of the line. I have, I have struggled a lot with comparing myself over the years. We get that when we really aren't blessed. Our parents haven't known how to bless us. It's hard to learn to value ourselves. But look who you're carrying. You're of the lineage of Mary. She was blessed above all women. You are blessed above all people. You are carriers of the Christ. It's amazing. That's astounding, each and every one of you. Yeah, it's not as the world tries to define us. The world wants to measure what we do and how much we make and the titles after our name and all that. But you're carriers of the Christ. That, ha, that is success right there in and of itself. That's it. That's all you need. You need him. 
And the more we become aware of how resident he is in us, the more we are going to walk out the fullness of who we really are. Because we start getting more and more focused on him and less and less focused on what our soul independently can do in and of itself. This is what Jesus said about his purpose on planet Earth. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. And being anointed in this context is he has qualified me to preach good news, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound. That is what Jesus did. He set people free. He spoke really good news to them. He healed their hearts. It's what he did. He was anointed to do that. That was his purpose. And each and every one of you have a similar purpose to do whatever kingdom decreed purpose he has for you because he's living in you and he can do it all. 2 Corinthians one twenty one says this, Now he has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God. Who? I'm sorry. Now he who has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We all have that. We all have that Holy Spirit resident in us, living within, dwelling, growing us from the inside out, turning what we thought were our waste places, our desert land, our infertile hearts into beautiful gardens. Every one of you, beautiful garden that he rejoices to walk in. He enjoys and pleasures in your gar- the garden of your heart. He does. He loves it. Yeah. Isn't that good news? He loves you all. Lord Jesus, we love you all. We love you. We love, 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 love God. That you just didn't dump us on this planet to figure it out on our own. You knew we need help. And you glory in helping us. Oh, and loving on us as we do so. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So what time is it? Okay. So those of you who have kids might want to go get them because we're going to actually have some a fire tunnel, but we're going to call it an anointing tunnel tonight, Okay. And and if those want, who are parents want to go and um, grab their kids, so the kids can enjoy the fire tunnel. And we're gonna, I'm gonna also ask that the parents with kids get to go first. Does that sound fair? Because they got to get them home and get to bed and all that stuff. Or or if we've already started, maybe give room, let the kids get in ahead of you. Is that be okay? Okay, we'll do that. So actually, while we're doing that, could would it be okay, Marsha? Would you like to share? That vision? I'm sorry, I didn't quite prepare you, did I? I wasn't sure what, what our timing was going to be here. So, she, so um, Marcia had a vision, and I know I think Russ was thinking, I think this has something to do with a message on anointing that we're getting tonight. 
because it was about receiving. It was about receiving. So I'm going to have Marcia share. And I know there were some of you I asked to be in the um, part of the fire tunnel, which would be, well, there's hardly any uh, <laughs> any um, of overseers or any of the worship intercessors or any of the uh, ministry team people could come up and be part of uh, the fire tunnel. So come on up while she's sharing, okay? During worship, uh, you know those those paper lanterns that float, okay, with candles? I saw this room was full with paper man- lanterns or paper man- uh, lanterns floating across the room, and all you had to do was reach your hand up and and open your heart and say, "I want one of those." And and one of the lights would come in really gently into your heart and then explode. So so I would like to release that over you. Anybody who wants that, just reach up and say, I want, one, I want that light to come in and consume me. And consume me. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yes. Receive that. Yes. Receive that. Yeah, so thank you, God, for your, that you're already preparing. You're already anointing. Oh, oh, Jesus. Hey, the fullness of the anointing you have for them, God. Ooh, I'll take some. <laughs> We're just getting oiled up here, huh? <laughs> okay, thank you, God. Ooh. So why don't you come on? Start on this side, getting lining up. And those of you, again, with children, go get your kids, and we'll put them at the front of the line. Okay. And if uh, we could start some music, at the, some background music, that would be awesome.